0: Beloved, our call to worship this morning is from Isaiah 1, 16 through 20. Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Continue reading in Scripture in the New Testament, a letter to Philemon. Continue our series this morning from verses 18 through 20, and Lord willing, next week we'll wrap up this short series. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, and to Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer and to our beloved Aphia and Kippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus, and toward all saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual. By the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you, in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love. Because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such an one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own bowels, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing that thy benefit should not be, as it were, of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me. But how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord, if thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself." If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. Albeit, I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self besides. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. But withal, prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. There salute the Epiphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be with your spirit. Amen. Our text for this morning is from Philemon, verses 18 through 20. Just let me read those. If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. Albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self, besides. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Well, as we pick up our series again after four or five Sundays off, let me refresh your memory briefly. In the last several sermons on Philemon, we've considered how Paul approached the subject of reconciliation between Philemon and Onesimus. We saw how Paul approached the subject not with coercion, but with gospel persuasion. Everything is set within the context of the gospel, of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw the appeal from the heart of Paul as he he reasoned with Philemon to take back Onesimus based on the spiritual change that had taken place. He pointed out how Onesimus had been useful to him in prison, how he was now living up to his potential. He was living up to the name that was given to him, Onesimus, which means useful. Paul says, he's been useful to me in prison. And he will be useful to you, Philemon, if you receive him back. Furthermore, as Onesimus returns, Philemon will not only receive him back as a servant or as a slave, but as a son, as a brother. The question remains, however. The question that we need to deal with this morning, how is Philemon going to deal with The sin that was done against him. How is Paul as a gospel bridge going to deal with that sin that still stood between Onesimus and Philemon? Onesimus had run away from Philemon. Likely had stolen things from Philemon. Likely had injured his person whether it was in word or in action There was still this issue between them. How is Paul, as this gospel bridge, as the mediator, as we saw last time, in this relationship going to deal with this? How do we deal with sin in our relationships with one another? As husbands and wives, within the context of the family, between believers in the church, if we're at odds with each other, how do we deal with each other's sin? If we're acting as gospel bridges, as mediators, as Paul does here between two parties that are opposing each other, how do we deal with that sin? That's the question that we want to wrestle with this morning. And the answer can be found in our theme we deal with each other's sin through gospel accounting, through gospel accounting. In our first thought, we, we see the debt that sin brings into relationships, debt that we owe to other people, the debt that we owe to those whom we've sinned against. So how would Philemon respond to that wrong done to him by Onesimus? Is Paul simply going to overlook all of this and say that what Onesimus did not did does not matter because he's undergone a profound spiritual change? Not at all. Sometimes we might be tempted to think that. That when a person undergoes a spiritual change, that there are therefore no more debts to be paid. That's not the biblical view of repentance, is it? If We think of Zacchaeus and how when the Lord worked on his heart, how he went to restore fourfold what he had stolen from the people. The biblical idea of repentance contains this idea of dealing with the debt that we owe to others. Paul faces the problem head on. He provides a helpful way of, of dealing with such things. Whenever we're sinned against, like Philemon, in human relationships, there's that wrong done to us. A wrong that often stands in the way of forgiveness and reconciliation. Even though spiritual change has taken place, even though there might be a track record of faithfulness, there can still be a debt that we owe someone that stands in the way of reconciliation, of true spiritual unity, of living out that unity that we have in Christ Jesus. A debt, as we'll see, that hinders the joy of true Christian fellowship. Children, what do your parents do when you fight with one another? Or maybe you don't fight with one another. but I doubt it. When you fight with one another, what do your parents do in order to bring you back together so you can play in harmony and unity again? Your parents, if they're faithful, they'll point out the sin that you did. And they'll tell you to ask for forgiveness for saying mean things. For hitting your brother or sister. Your parents name the sin, don't they? And as the sin is named, you can ask for forgiveness. You can be brought back together and you can play again. You can share your toys. You can share your things. You can be best friends again. But let's transfer that now to brothers and sisters in the family of God who disagree with each other or feuding neighbors. There's a debt, isn't there? Sometimes conflict is nuanced and we both owe each other something. When someone hurts us, what's our first response? We want to hurt them back. And and sadly, sometimes we do that. And so debt builds up on both sides of the conflict. Debt that needs to be named and acknowledged. And that's exactly what Paul does. He highlights the comprehensive debt that Onesimus owes to Philemon. There's the debt of injustice. Of Onesimus acting unjustly, unrighteously towards Philemon. Paul writes in verse 18, If he hath wronged thee, The word wrong there has the element of something unjust. If Onesimus has done anything unjust to you, Philemon is saying. And sometimes we think of the word if as injecting uncertainty, as maybe he did something. That's not how Paul is using the word here. Onesimus has done unjustly towards you, Philemon. Paul acknowledges that something unjust has happened. He doesn't name it in detail here. And that's for our prophet this morning, so that in a sense we can write ourselves into this equation as well. The reality is that Paul does not gloss over Onesimus's sin. What he has done is unjust towards Philemon. a violation of Philemon's person and trust, a violation of the order that God has instituted. If we think of the second table of the law, it calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves. As Onesimus sinned against Philemon, he had violated this law. He had lived unjustly in relation to the second table of the law. He has broken God's standard for human relationships. That's what Paul identifies here. He has lived for himself and not out of love for Philemon. Then too, there's a financial debt, a material debt. Paul writes in verse 18, If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee ought. The fact of the matter is that Philemon is owed something by Onesimus. Onesimus had likely stolen something from from Philemon in order to support himself as a runaway slave. He had injured Philemon's person and Philemon's property. Paul fully acknowledges both. As Paul writes, he doesn't gloss over the fact that Onesimus had sinned against Philemon. We might be tempted to think that as we read through the letter to this point. Paul just wants Philemon to receive back Onesimus at the expense of, of justice. He's just overlooking what Onesimus has done, and he even takes Onesimus's side by demanding that Philemon take back Onesimus. And we say, well, where is the justice in all of this? Where is, where is Onesimus' sin that he committed against Philemon? Some might even say that Paul is the champion of overturning slavery by ignoring Onesimus' wrongs that true justice is served in this way because Philemon is actually the transgressor by holding him as a slave the opposite is true isn't it paul doesn't overlook Onesim- onesimus's debt to philemon remember the basis of his spiritual appeal of his p- appeal to philemon it was based on spiritual change that had taken place in onesimus Onesimus had become useful to Paul. He demonstrated the fruits of repentance in Paul's presence before Paul would commend him again to Philemon to receive him. Remember how Philemon was to receive him, not only as a servant, but much more than a servant, as a brother. And now he points out that Onesimus owes Philemon a debt. And so we learn here this morning, That sin is not overlooked and should never be overlooked in reconciling believers within the body of Christ. How that works out is unique and specific to each case and the nature of the sin that is being dealt with. But the principle is this. Sin needs to be acknowledged in order for there to be true reconciliation The debt needs to be acknowledged. That's what Paul is doing here. Onesimus owes Philemon a debt. Because Onesimus has harmed, violated the person and the property of Philemon. But Paul highlights another debt in this passage this morning as he stands between these two men. A debt that Philemon owes to Paul. Interesting how Paul lays this all out. And where he writes in verse 19b, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me thine own self besides. Yes, there's this debt over here. But Philemon, you owe me your very self, your very person you owe to me. What's Paul doing here? Paul is saying that Philemon owes Paul a spiritual debt. Through Paul's preaching and teaching and ministry, Philemon has come to know the Lord. He owes Paul the debt of eternal life in a sense. Paul is his spiritual father. He's begotten Philemon in the faith. And Paul comes round and he reminds Philemon of that. He's saying, my brother, you owe me yourself. You remember how I came to you and preached the gospel to you. You remember how the Lord used that to bring you to himself. If it wasn't for me, you would not know the Lord. You owe me your life, Philemon. What's Paul doing here? In a sense, he's he's stitching Philemon to himself in terms of obligation. Remember, it wasn't coercion. It was gospel persuasion. He's using this not just on a, on a human level to, to manipulate and to twist Philemon to accept the terms of reconciliation. He's putting Onesimus' debt in light of the debt that Philemon owes to Paul. Paul. He was deeply indebted to Paul, Philemon was. And so he puts Onesimus' debt in perspective in order to call Philemon to forgiveness and reconciliation. He's reminding Philemon of the vertical forgiveness that he has received from God himself. You've received forgiveness, Philemon, through, through my ministry to you. As I preach Christ to you, you were forgiven of your sins, not through me, but through Christ. He's reminding him of the gospel that has worked in his own life. The debt that he owes to Paul and to the Lord by extension. Philemon owes himself to Paul. In fact, both of these brothers are now in debt to Paul as he stands between them as this gospel bridge. And we need to recognize here that Paul does not set the practice here for ministers to go around collecting their spiritual debt. But it speaks of the relational capital that exists between believers when there is that influence, that gospel influence whether it's through ministers, whether it's through mentors, whether it's through people speaking into our lives, there's always a debt that we owe to the person who's speaking gospel truth into our lives. When they call us to obedience, there's this sense of, of obligation, a greater weightiness to their word that comes to us. As Paul is working here, So there's debt on every level, the debt of injustice, the debt, financial debt, the debt of spiritual life. How will these debts be repaid? How will these debts be repaid? If those debts exist in our lives, how will they be repaid? If we owe someone something, how will they be repaid? If we owe those influencers something, those gospel influencers something in our lives, how do we repay them? As they work towards reconciliation. That's what we see in our second thought, the imputation. What does Paul say to Philemon? What should he do in regards to Onesimus' debt? Does he say, You stick it to him, Philemon? Does he say, You make him pay he owes you? You make him pay what he owes. Justice needs to be done. You exact every penny that you, that you can from him. You exact every psychological and emotional payment that, that Onesimus can give to you. No, that's not what he says. Does Paul say to Philemon... Oh, don't worry about what Onesimus owes you. You've oppressed him for so long as a slave and as a servant. Therefore, he doesn't owe you anything. Let's consider the debt canceled. And both of you just just move along and be done. That's not what Paul says either. In fact, Paul does something highly unusual, something that's contrary to the human flesh, to the sinful human flesh but entirely consistent with the gospel. This is what Paul writes in verse 18. If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on my account. Put it on my account. The debt that Onesimus owes to you, you put that on me, Philemon. Philemon. This is where Paul's gospel accounting takes shape. He's he's shown what the debt is. And now he opens his own account on behalf of Philemon and Onesimus both. What he's actually saying is that he's willing to have Onesimus' debt imputed, written into his account. Onesimus' account is in the red. I'm willing to take that red accounting and put it in my account. Those red figures can be put on my account. And then when you, when you see Onesimus coming back to you, Philemon, you don't see red in his account, but you see black. You see, you see a clean account. You see, you see me as you receive Onesimus. Paul is willing to assume the debt of injustice as well as any financial or material debt that Onesimus owed Philemon. For the debt of injustice, Paul says, I'm willing to bear that debt of pain caused to you. I'm willing to work out those things that Onesimus has done against you. For the debt of material things and finances, I'm willing to, to pay that too. Paul puts himself in the place of Onesimus. He's operating as that gospel bridge that we heard about in the last message from Philemon. He stands between these two men in an effort to reconcile them and bring them back together. But even more than being a gospel bridge, Paul is giving us a beautiful living example of what Christ has done in the cross. What we have here is Paul pointing Philemon, pointing Onesimus, pointing us this morning to the cross of Christ where the debt is paid for sin. As we've seen throughout the letter, the vertical relationship with Christ, the vertical relationship of grace that believers have in Jesus Christ is what is the foundation of this gospel reconciliation between these these two men. The gospel shapes what Paul is is doing and acting as a mediator between these two men to see their relationship restored. He does for them here on a horizontal level what Christ has done for them on a vertical level. This is the gospel in action. This is the cross in real world life. A living illustration of the work of Christ as a mediator lived out within the body. Paul assumes the debt that belonged to Onesimus. Reflecting what Christ has done in the cross for sinners. Paul lives in this reality, you see, of what the cross means for him of what imputation means for him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's what Paul is saying here. If he has wronged you, if he owes you anything, reckon it to my account, impute it to me. This is the heart of the gospel in the letter of Philemon. When Paul talks about imputation in Romans 4 and 5, something we just heard about recently, he uses the same word that he uses here to say, put it on my account, reckon it to me. It's an accounting term. You count his debt. As mine. And now I'm obligated to you, but you are also obligated to me. Paul opens his account and he says, I'm willing to be counted the debtor in this case. And when you see Onesimus, when he returns, don't think of what he owes you. But think of him as you would think of me. We get to the heart of the gospel in these words, a living example of Christ. So that Philemon can be sure that Paul means what he says. He says in verse 19, I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. Paul sometimes made use of a scribe, and we believe that's the case here as he's writing this letter to Philemon. He's dictating this letter to the scribe to write. And he gets to this point in his letter. You can almost imagine him sitting at at his desk in prison. And he's saying, "Give give me the pen. Give me the pen. I want to be sure that Philemon understands exactly what I'm saying. I'm going to write it in my own hand. If he's done anything wrong to you, if he's done injustice to you, and in fact he he has done injustice to you, and he owes you something, but put it on my account, I'm I'm writing it with my own hand so that you can see that this comes from me, that it's not there in the scribe's handwriting, it's in my own handwriting. He wants us to stand out in the letter as the central argument for receiving back Onesimus. Every obstacle needs to be removed for Philemon. Paul wants Philemon to see how important this was to Paul for the sake of the gospel. If this living illustration of the gospel would fail, then the entire gospel would crumble, as it were. The gospel is at stake in this restored relationship. I'm writing it with my own hand. I'm putting my own signature underneath it so you fully understand that this is how you should receive Onesimus. He owes you a debt. But here's my banking ledger. I've written that debt into my own account. Onesimus is coming back to you. Receive him as you would receive me. And then he writes this for extra emphasis in verse 19. I will repay it. Paul is committed to this. He's laying himself down, as it were, as that sacrifice between these two brothers to compensate Philemon for the debt of Onesimus. Whatever that debt is, Paul is willing to stand in the gap. If it's financial debt, he'll repay it. If it's the debt of injustice, something done wrong to the person of Philemon, Paul is willing to stand in the gap with his own person and say, receive him as you would receive me. Forgive him his debt as you think of me. And then Paul underscores it by reminding Philemon of the debt that he owes to Paul. So how will, Philemon, how, how will Onesimus pay for his debt? A debt that he cannot repay on his own? There's another who stands in the gap. It's Paul who will repay what Onesimus owes. How will Philemon pay the debt that he owes to Paul? By obeying the call to forgive and receive Onesimus back. Beloved, let me ask you this question this morning. Are you ready to do this in a relationship that has gone sour? Maybe you argued with your spouse on the way to church this morning. There are some things to iron out on the way home. Are you willing to assume the other's debt? Seeing that there is one that has stood in the gap who has assumed your debt of sin, and guilt, and condemnation in Christ? It doesn't mean that you forgive without any consideration for justice or or redress if that is necessary. But as the one sinned against, are you ready to forgive this debt that someone has done against you, that someone owes to you? Are we ready to kneel at the foot of the cross and grant forgiveness of the debt that someone owes us in light of the debt that was forgiven us in Christ? If someone comes to us and asks for forgiveness or asks for that debt to be placed on their account on behalf of someone else as Paul is doing here, are we, are we ready to forgive. Are we cultivating our hearts so that we are ready to forgive when forgiveness is asked for? As gospel bridges, are we ready to display the work of Christ in such vividness in terms of seeking to reconcile human relations? Here's encouragement for us this morning. If there are relationships that seem beyond repair, relationships that you can't see light at the end of the tunnel, or relationships that are just beginning to sour, or anything in between, are we ready to demonstrate such gospel accounting to deal with, with the debt of others. Because this is how Christ deals with your debt if you're a believer. It's erased from your account because He's taken it and written it into His own account. That's what we learned in the last four sermons on justification and faith. And here we have the practical outworkings, as it were, of that in relations with others. Are we ready to open our account? To deal with the debt that others owe us? Are we ready to work towards the delight that comes in restored relationships? That's what Paul reminds us of also in the third thought. The delight of a restored relationship. Delighting in each other in the Lord. Paul continues his appeal for Philemon to receive Onesimus back. As he states the debt that Onesimus owes Philemon. And the debt that Philemon owes to Paul. He shows how the gospel works in real time. He shows how a believer can operate as an effective mediator. Paul works within the framework of gospel persuasion, not man-centered coercion. That's what we need to keep reminding ourselves of. The gospel calls for forgiveness of certain debts. But the gospel also comes with particular delights in Christian fellowship and restored fellowship and communion with one another. ahead of communion next month. Consistory always holds censura morum. To see whether there's any conflict between brothers in the consistory or whether we're aware of any conflicts in the congregation that should prevent us from having communion. Highlighting that at communion, there is fellowship. There is spiritual communion Primarily with Christ, but secondarily with one another. And there's a sweetness about that, isn't there? And when there's broken fellowship, that fellowship is ruptured, it's interrupted. And that's what Paul is seeking to restore here. Between Philemon and Onesimus. The delightful aspect, the happiness, the pleasantness of fellowship with one another. It's one of the reasons why we form small groups. So we can enjoy the, the fellowship and the communion of believers on a more intimate level. But Paul builds on this, on this basis of the spiritual change that has taken place in Onesimus. He builds on the track record of repentance in Onesimus. He builds on his own willingness to absorb Onesimus' debt and Philemon's spiritual debt to Paul. And so we know that delight, don't we, that comes from Christian fellowship. But how much more that delight and that joy and fellowship is accentuated and heightened when two opposing parties are brought together. In a sense, it's heaven's joy experienced in real time. Because what happens when there's reconciliation? There's repentance, isn't there? And what happens when there's repentance? There is joy in heaven, and certainly there should be joy on earth. There should be restored joy in the fellowship with each other. He highlights this delight, Paul does, as he writes in verse 20. Brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Obey the call to forgive your brother. Paul demonstrates now how they are actually to relate to each other. They are brothers after all. There's a deep spiritual union that exists. Brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. They're born of the same spirit. They both have the same elder brother. They both have share the same heavenly father. Their union is deep union in the foundation of the gospel, the death and resurrection of Christ. They both stand before the cross forgiven. So how can Philemon not forgive Onesimus now as Paul assumes his debt? Earlier, Onesimus is also referred to as a brother in verse 16. Philemon is to receive him as such, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, both in the flesh and in the Lord. All of this goes to show that reconciliation and obedience to the gospel and its call to seek reconciliation can truly, only truly be effective where this brotherhood exists. Where there's this gospel foundation of a vertical relationship and vertical forgiveness with Christ. Only then can it be extended truly and willingly from the heart to others. When we grasp something of what it means to stand before the cross forgiven, there's forgiveness with God, but He may be feared. And if there's that same hope of forgiveness with God, surely that same hope of forgiveness should exist. Amongst believers. Brother. Let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Let me have the joy of seeing you forgive. And receive Onesimus back. What does the Apostle John say? There's no greater joy than to see my children. Walking in the truth. The truth that unites. The truth that is in Jesus Christ. You see, this spiritual brotherhood is intended to produce joy. Joy based in the Lord. Let me have joy of you in the Lord. Paul is not just after a relational reunion, but Paul knows that that true spiritual joy comes through reconciliation. That's what he aims for. True Christian fellowship on the basis of forgiveness in the Lord. In what Christ has done for all three of them together. There's an intense joy that comes from someone who responds to the call of the gospel to forgive. There's intense joy when someone comes and asks for forgiveness. Who are we then to hold a grudge? Who are we then to hold the debt that hangs over them if we have been forgiven by Christ himself? A joy that is grounded in the Lord and His work in us. A fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is a love. And joy follows right after. The fruit of the Spirit as He works in believers to reconcile them as they obey and willingly reunite and relate and reconcile with each other. This is the beautiful byproduct of a restored relationship. It doesn't mean that the relationship doesn't mean, need any more work. There are things to work through, absolutely. But there is joy. The foundation has been recovered It's upon that foundation that we begin to work again through the problems that we face together. Why does a restored relationship bring joy? Not just that recovering the foundation of the gospel from which to stand and rebuild that relationship, but because it reflects the order and unity that is in God. It's a fulfillment of the order that God has created. It's a reflection, isn't it, of the harmony and the unity and the fellowship and the communion that existed in Eden. Why do you think that Satan loves division and chaos in the church? Because it keeps us from the joy that is in the Lord. It keeps us from the order that God intended. It keeps us from communion with God and with one another? Will we have give Satan the upper hand? Or will the gospel continue to speak into our relationships with one another in order to produce the joy of this true Christian fellowship in the Lord? Sometimes we act less than this spiritual union. So often we would rather bite and devour one another. we want to slander and gossip other people rather than going straight to them with the issues that we have. We think of the nasty things that we want to say to our spouse in return to their comment to us. In the tips of our tongues lies a vengeful word. Within our heart lies a, a bitter spirit. There are those within the body with whom we have disagreements and we view them as less than a blood-bought brother or sister in Christ. We somehow think we feel better by remaining at loggerheads with them when there is already spiritual union there. Beloved, when we are, when our relationships are ruptured, when we hang on to a bitter and vengeful spirit, the devil is laughing. Our witness is harmed. This morning we're called to a higher standard within the church. These words demonstrate for us this morning how we are to relate to each other when we profess to know the Lord. We stand in the gap. We absorb the debt of others, forgiving them as Christ has forgiven us. We pray for that, don't we? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If we're not willing to forgive others, how can we expect forgiveness from God? Call to be mediators in conflict and to work like Paul worked, to be the one to whom the debt is imputed so that reconciliation take place. We view and address others as brothers and sisters in the Lord because of what Christ has done in them and for them, and we work towards the goal of renewed fellowship and reconciliation where there has been conflict before. We strive towards the goal of delighting in this spiritual union of brotherhood in the Lord. Brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Paul goes one step further. Let me have joy in you that you receive Onesimus back. But then he says this in verse 20. It may seem like an odd expression to the 21st century ear. He says, refresh my bowels. Refresh my bowels. We've seen that this word bowels appears three times in this letter. Let's trace how Paul uses that word for a moment to realize its impact here in verse 20. First he uses it in 1 verse 7. Or in verse 7, For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Joy connected to bowels. The deepest spiritual feelings and emotions of the saints are refreshed by Philemon. That which is the heart, which Scripture designates as the bowels, the seat of the emotions, the heart, where a person feels most deeply. We can say a gut reaction. This is refreshed by Philemon as his faith is expressed in love to the saints, to all the saints. Then Paul uses the word in reference to Onesimus in verse 12, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own bowels. The one who holds the seat of my affections. The one whom I love in the Lord Jesus Christ. The one whom I've begotten in my bonds. The one who is now useful to me. The one who is my spiritual brother. The one whom I've had fellowship with in my chains. The strong bond of love for Onesimus. And then Paul picks up this word again in verse 20. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Verse 17, or verse 12 rather, mine own bowels and now my bowels. He connects these two things together and I I think that Paul is not speaking about himself here. He's speaking about Onesimus, refresh my bowels, refresh Onesimus here. The one who is mine own bowels, refresh my bowels, Philemon, Philemon. Refresh Onesimus in the Lord. He belongs to that designation, all the saints. And here is a test of your faith and of your love. Refresh. Receive him now, not just receive him as mine own bowels, but refresh him. Refresh my bowels. Paul's eager to see this fruit of love in Philemon's life exercised towards Onesimus. The one to whom it might be most difficult to show this love to for the wrongs that were done to him. But Paul is saying here, Philemon, he's part Of all the saints. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. And so we come full circle to the beginning of the letter as Paul commends Philemon for his love to all the saints. He makes his appeal once more for Philemon to show that love. As hard as it might be, this is what Philemon is called to do. But Paul makes it easier as the gospel bridge. He stands between. He pledges to pay, to stand in the gap, calls Philemon to obedience in this matter, to show spiritual fruit. Will he obey? We'll see that next time, Lord willing. But what lessons can we take home this morning from this passage? First, when we've hurt others, And we've harmed others. We need to acknowledge where we have hurt and harmed them. And the debt that we owe to them. And we need to ask for forgiveness. And work towards restitution. If we stand as gospel bridges between two opposing parties, we need to work towards what this debt is. And how it can be repaid. Whether the mediator absorbs that cost, or whether the person who is the sinner repays what they owe. But if we are to reconcile as brothers and sisters in the Lord, it comes through the acknowledgement of debt. Secondly, the gospel is not merely something in the abstract. It's not just between Jesus and you, but we see that it's actionable as we can stand in the gap, as we can live our lives according to this gospel accounting by standing in for others' debts where appropriate so that reconciliation can be made possible. It teaches us how we can take that debt upon ourselves if we are the sinner, to take responsibility for our actions. And for the one who has sinned against, to forgive as Christ forgave you, when forgiveness is sought. So the gospel is not merely abstract, but actionable, it calls us to forgive as Christ forgave. And thirdly, let's remember. That when we strive for reconciled relationships, we're not just striving to see two people reunited. We're striving to see joy. We're striving to see spiritual fruit in the Lord. We're striving for this delight of mended relationships, joy in marriages that are broken, joy in families that are disrupted, joy between believers that were at loggerheads before learning to refresh each other's bowels with a clear demonstration of gospel love. May God help us this morning to put this gospel accounting into practice. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank Thee for Thy Word. We confess this morning that it challenges us. We confess that we're not quick to forgive. We confess that we are quick to pursue vengeance, which goes beyond the justice that is called for. Lord, we pray what we've heard this morning would serve to bring together and unite in the Lord. That as relationships are mended and restored we'd not merely be surprised by joy but expect that joy For thou hast said, where brethren dwell together in unity, thou dost command blessing there. So, Lord, where there is unity this morning, preserve it and protect it. Where there is disunity, we pray for thy grace to mend it in the Lord. We ask all these things now, asking thee to bless us as we turn to family living, confession of faith class, Catechism class. Give wisdom as we teach, as we instruct, and as we model. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.